As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one. With shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from, the Mount, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Psalm 43. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me, your, uh, bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre. O oh God, my God, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you. How's your summer going? Pretty well? Yeah, it's nice. We've had a lot of rain, but a lot of it has been in the evenings and the night. So uh, it's made for some wonderful days. So again, welcome, everyone. Glad to, to see you with us this morning. Uh, if you notice some empty seats, it's because some of our... No, I'm joking. Nobody's in the triathlon, the Toronto triathlon today. I think probably the person who could be is Albert, but that's not the reason. He's not with us uh, this morning. Yeah, so we're continuing in our summer of the Psalms. And we've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. The Psalms are so versatile. There's a psalm that speaks for us in almost every condition, every situation, and every circumstance. Last week, we studied that psalm that that speaks for those experiencing anxiety, 
This week, we have a couple of psalms for those who feel cut off from God. Now, did you notice I said that these psalms speak for us, not to us? Now, of course, they do speak to us, but the power and the beauty of the psalms is that they can speak for us. We derive the greatest strengthening and courage, uh, courage and encouragement through this beautiful fact that the Psalms speak to us, but they also speak for us in any and every situation we may face. Now, before we go any further, I, I want to just, uh, we talked about the title being For Those Who Feel Cut Off from God. So I want to be very clear uh, about what we mean here and explain this idea of being cut off from God. The Bible is very clear that all people are separated from God because of our self-centered sinfulness. In Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2, we read, Your iniquities, another word for sin and evil, have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. In John 9.31, Jesus said, We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. The only solution to this problem of our sins separating us from God is Jesus. I'm sure you have heard people say that, oh, there are many ways to get to God, and it doesn't really matter which way a person chooses. The Bible does not say that. The only solution is Jesus, and here's why. Jesus himself says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus, God the Son, had no sin. But he willingly came into our broken world, as we've sung in those beautiful songs we sang earlier. He came into our broken world to reconcile us with God. Dying on that cross, he took upon himself the punishment our sins deserve. He gave himself as a ransom for us. And only through faith in him can we now be at peace with God. In 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, we read, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Just think for a moment. If there really were other ways for people to make peace with God, don't you think God would have chosen one of them other than the sacrifice of his own son on the cross? If you have not made peace with God yet through placing your faith in the Lord Jesus, 
I'd be very happy to personally explain more to you afterwards. Now, on the other hand, Christians, we Christians who know God, who have been ransomed and forgiven, are not perfect by any means. And we do continue sometime to, sometimes to grieve God through sin or disobedience. And in that case, what happens is there's a cloud that grows between our Father and ourselves. It clouds that relationship. And we need to come to the cross again to repent of our sin and be restored to that open fellowship with God, which God wants us uh, to experience with him. So with that little uh, section of clarifications made, uh, let me now again emphasize that these psalms are speaking for people who love God. They can say with the psalmist that God is their God and Savior. But they are depressed. They're in a dark place in their lives, and they feel that God is far away at the moment. Let's briefly look at the, the structure of this psalm. And if you're wondering why we are looking at two psalms today, hopefully uh, that will become clear. You see, we have these uh, three stanzas, and then we have chorus. Uh, between them. So actually, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 are one song in most Hebrew manuscripts. And a big clue to this fact is the fact that most of the Psalms, if you look under the title, there's a little heading, you know, who, who, who it's for or who it's by or what the circumstances were. If you look at Psalm 43, there's nothing there. We have it for Psalm 42, but there's nothing there. That's one reason, but the strongest support is, of course, right in the text. Note that Psalm 42, verses 5, sorry, I jumped ahead there. That, okay, so verses 5 and 11 and Psalm 33, verse 5, are all identical uh, verses. So that kind of shows us that this is the chorus, these are the verses, and we are basically looking at one song with three stanzas and the chorus repeated there. So let's think a little bit just briefly about the setting of this psalm. We don't know for sure the original setting. And that's okay, because as we said earlier, the psalms are so versatile. We can apply them in many situations, including our own. Now, it could have been written for the Hebrew people who had been taken far away to Babylon in, uh, in exile. And whether or not it was written specifically for them, I'm sure that this psalm was very often on the lips of the exiles in that period of time. But one reason for perhaps a different understanding of the setting is that there is a mention in the psalm in the last stanza about returning to the house of God. So I think this implies that possibly at the time of writing, the house of God was still standing. It hadn't been yet destroyed by the Babylonian conquest of Jerusalem. More likely, this psalm may have been written for David by some of the people with him when they were locked out of Jerusalem 
during the uprising led by his son Absalom that we heard a little bit about last week. As we look at the Psalms, let's keep in mind that, again, we have both a description of what it's like to feel cut off from God, but we also have a demonstration of what to do when we feel cut off from God. Note also, as we read uh, through it in a little more detail, that there's a familiar pattern. There's familiar themes in each of the stanzas. We will see the psalmist vent his raw feelings to God. But then we see him kind of stop himself and make himself think and turn away from self-centeredness, self-pity. And finally, we see him turn to God and determine to trust God alone. So let's look at uh, the first stanza. It's verses 1 to 4. We're just going to begin now looking at verses 1 and 2. As the deer pants for the streams, for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Picture a deer chased by hunters, panic-stricken and parched, desperately searching for a stream of cool, clear water to quench its thirst. Just like that hunted deer, the psalmist is perhaps on the run. He's far from the house of God in Jerusalem, the place that he would go to worship and meet with God. Notice how he describes God. He's the living God, somebody real and alive to the psalmist. He describes himself as thirsting, thirsting for God. To him, coming into the presence of God is a matter of life and death. He feels he cannot live without this experience in his life. Now, such devotion might surprise us a little, but there is ample, uh, there are ample examples, many examples, ample evidence in the Old Testament that the saints in those times, too, had deep, deep experiences with God. And as Phil referred to, he, he asks again and again, when can I go and meet with God? You see, in the Old Testament times, location was everything. You had to go to the tabernacle, or, or later on, you had to go to the temple to worship and offer sacrifices. Nowhere else would do. The law of Moses commanded it, and it's repeated in Deuteronomy 16, long before the temple was constructed. Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of of tabernacles. So here's the psalmist, cut off, cut off from worship, cut off from God. Now we might expect that being cut off like this would paralyze his ability to pray. But it doesn't. It doesn't. It actually prompts him 
to pray. Isn't that wonderful? It prompts him to pray in faith and to trust that God is hearing him. This is a lesson for us. Remember, no matter what your circumstance, no matter how you feel, prayer is always possible. Get that deep into your heart and mind. Verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? What a poetic line to express his deep sorrow and trouble. My tears have been my food and day and night. Not only is he feeling separated and far from God, but in his mind, he is tormented by this constant ridicule from others. Where is your God? Your God is not real. That's what they're saying, isn't it? Now, the danger of a situation like this is that the more we hear statements like that, the more likely we are to start to listen and believe them. The psalmist takes immediate action. Verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. He stops pitying himself. He puts a stop to it and he turns his thoughts back to how wonderful his worship used to be. He reminds himself, talking to himself, telling himself of the security, the safety he felt in the presence of Almighty God. He remembers and maybe tries to relive the thunderous sounds of joyful praise and how thrilling it was to experience it, not alone, but in a large crowd of worshipers. What a thrill it used to be. Now, is this memory only about warm, fuzzy feelings? No, it isn't. Let's bear in mind that every festival in the Jewish calendar was based on an actual historical event, an act of God revealing himself through promises or through saving and delivering his people. The Festival of Unleavened Bread was a commemoration of the Passover and the deliverance of the Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt. Remember, they were told to sacrifice a lamb, sprinkle its blood on the doorposts, and that night the judgment of God came over everyone in that land, but the judgment passed over those in the houses with blood covering the doorposts. The Festival of Weeks was a Thanksgiving celebration, again, celebrating God giving his people a new life after the bondage and slavery they lived through in Egypt. The Festival of Tabernacles was a joyful celebration of God's provision during their wanderings in the wilderness. So by remembering his previous times in the temple of worship, the, 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 the uh, psalmist is turning his thoughts 
to these real promises, these real historical events that formed the foundation of his faith. He's reminding himself that the facts are still the facts, no matter how he is feeling. God's saving acts really happened, and the feelings he's experiencing at the moment cannot change the facts. The old hymn writer got it right when he penned the words, Count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Sometimes we need to do that, don't we? Reminding himself that the facts are still the facts establishes a foundation for the positive words we see in the chorus. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior, my God. So as we look at the chorus, let me ask you a question. Do you ever talk to yourself? I know we associate talking to yourself with, as, with old age, right? But let me explain. Maybe you remember this little visual from the Four Spiritual Laws booklet of many, many years ago. There's the train with an engine pulling a number of wagons. On the engine is the word fact or facts. On the coal wagon is the word faith. And on the last wagon is the word feelings or feeling. And this little visual explains the relationship between these three. For the journey of faith to go well, and for that train to reach its final destination, Facts and faith must be the driving force. Feelings must be like that wagon that the train pulls behind it. The message is this. First, act in fact-based faith. And when we do that, the feelings will follow. If we allow the opposite to happen, if feelings are the driving force, if they're the engine and the facts and faith are supposedly pulled behind that, the journey's not going to go well because feelings come and go. And a train led by feelings is going to sputter. So the message here is, talk to yourself. Talk to yourself. The psalmist is telling himself to make his fact-based faith the driving force, not his feelings. By remembering God's faithfulness in the past, he's emboldened to look to the future with hope. And he speaks to himself in the present to do it. See that? Past, present, future, all there. He orders himself as he speaks to himself. He commands himself to trust God and wait patiently for God to bring him back. And he expresses a confidence that all will be well. Stanza 2, verses 6 to 10. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. 
the struggle, the depression continues. Sometimes it takes, takes time, doesn't it? He continues to feel distant from God. He continues to be sad. And they go here from one extreme to the opposite extreme. From the thirst of the parched deer to now, he's splashing and thrashing in the roaring floodwaters. Now he's in the northernmost region of the land, in the ranges of Mount Hermon, as far from the presence of God in Jerusalem as you can go without leaving the country, the land. He imagines the, 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 snow, the, the, the melting snow-fed rivers and the waterfalls in that region as basically rushing over him, overwhelming him, drowning him. What a picture of helplessness, hopelessness in the floods of depression. But he remains determined to remember his God. Note here that he describes the waterfalls and the waves and the breakers as your waterfalls, your waves, your breakers. Well, in the sense that God has created the world and everything in it, yeah, they are God's waves and God's breakers and God's flood. But that's not what the psalmist means here. The psalmist is attributing these obstacles, these difficulties, as coming from God in the sense that the psalmist knows God is sovereign. God is in control of everything that happens in our world. The psalmist knows that. He knows that nothing can happen outside of God's knowledge. He knows that God rules. And he accepts that while the tumult in his life may not have come directly from God, God, as ruler over all things, has permitted it. Your waves, your breakers, your floods. And because God has permitted it, he can now address God and seek help. So he bears his soul and pleads his case, asking God to come and intervene in his situation. Remember this. A deep knowledge of the sovereignty of God is a source of hope. God rules. That gives us hope. You see, if God is not ruler over everything, and if things that happen are completely random, then there is no ground for hope, meaning, or purpose in life. Did you get that? If God is not sovereign, and if everything that happens is completely random, then there's no hope. There's no ground for hope, no ground for meaning, no or purpose in our life ever. The psalmist knows that God is sovereign, and God, therefore, can help. It's as though this reminder springs to life other truths he knows about God. And he continues in verses 8 and 9. 
By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by, my, by the enemy? Again, he stops focusing on himself. His thoughts are back on God day and night. And notice what he calls God. He, he addresses him as the God of my life. He addresses God as his rock, that place you can find stability. He remembers experiencing God's love and the joy of singing God's praises, not in the throngs, but now even in the stillness and the loneliness of the night. Music and songs are a wonderful gift. Just as the Psalms speak for the people of God, so can other hymns and spiritual songs encourage us. I hope we are all filling our minds with solid Christian songs and hymns. I believe the Spirit can use them to encourage us just at the right time. But in spite of these lovely statements, there's an increasing intensity in the psalmist's expression of his feelings. Remember back in stanza one, he felt far from God. Now he feels forgotten by God. My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? In stanza one, they said, they said, where is your God? Now he feels the sadness and the oppression of his enemies, and he feels they are taunting him. They're taunting him. There's an increase in the intensity. So he repeats the chorus in determination to trust God in his difficulties. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Stanza 3, verses 1 and 2. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Note that in stanza three, there's a kind of switch in style. The first two stanzas read a little bit like a report. It's like he's reporting to God his situation and his feelings. But now he's addressing God directly with desperation. And he's boldly asking God to act, vindicate me, plead my cause, rescue me. He's asking God to act. He declares that God is his stronghold. He knows that he can't defend himself. His only hope is God. He repeats this cry from uh, the previous stanza. Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemy? But note again the, the increase in intensity. Far from God. Forgotten by God. And now he says he feels rejected by God. He is at rock bottom. He is at rock bottom. As they say, 
when you hit rock bottom, you have only one way to look, up. And that's what the psalmist does. Verses 3 and 4. Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. More truths of God come to his mind as he persists. He remembers God revealing himself, shining the light of his truth into his mind. He remembers God's faithful care over him and God guiding him in the past. As we've said, he knows he's helpless. He knows that he's hopeless where he is. There is nothing in himself that he can do to get back to God. He begs God to lead him back. He turns himself over to God. See the progression here in these verses. To your holy mountain, the place where God dwells, the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. It's like he is saying, Lord, I'm helpless, so lead me back to where you are, but not just the area. Lord, lead me right to where you are. Lord, lead me to the altar where the sacrifice is made, and I can be cleansed. But not only that, Lord, lead me to have joyful, delightful, intimate communion with you. I will sing my praises to you. That's what I want. You are mine and I am yours. That's all I want. Isn't that beautiful? This is God's will for everyone, that we come close to him and that he be our joy, that he be our delight. One last time, we repeat the chorus. And by repeating this chorus each time, I want us to the, t- the psalmist is obviously telling us, keep talking to yourself, keep talking to yourself, at least keep doing it until the depressed feelings are gone. But my hope is that by us going over it so many times today, is that this verse will become a blessing in your life and that you will find these words coming to your mind at the moment when you most need them. So one last time. Whoops, sorry, I went too far. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So to wrap things up, let me ask you another question. Do you ever feel cut off from God? Do you ever feel Depressed and disturbed, downcast. Don't ever let the situation or your circumstance paralyze your ability to pray. Let it 
prompt you to pray. Let it be a trigger for prayer in your life. Talk to God. Tell Him how you feel. It's okay to vent a little. I love this quote from John Goldingay, a great commentary uh, on this chapter. Vent a little because God is big enough to take it and he's loving enough to absorb it. He's not going to hit back. He'll just let it be true. Because Jesus did that on the cross. He absorbed it all. He took it all in our place. So vent a little <laughs> don't just get into a thing of wallowing self-pity. No. Vent a little and then and then stop yourself. Talk to yourself. Remind yourself of God's faithfulness in your in the past. Remind yourself of, of all that Christ has accomplished on the cross for you. Remind yourself of his sovereignty. That nothing surprises him. Nothing has him go, huh? What happened? No. God is in control. Trust him. And then turn to God by faith. Come back to the cross. Come back to the great salvation that's been purchased for you by the death, the resurrection from the dead of the Lord Jesus. And finally, just in a conscious act of your will, Commit yourself to God and express out loud, out loud, your love, your trust, and your hope in him. And the psalmist shows us, keep doing it. Keep doing it until the negative feelings stop. Let's pray. Lord, your word is amazing. These words penned over a thousand years ago have so much for us today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord God, that we can address you as our God, but more than that, because of Jesus, we have the intimacy with you and we can call you Father. So Father, thank you. Thank you for your care for each one of us. Thank you for the great love you've demonstrated through sending Jesus. Thank you for your spirit who lives within us and who desires to just communicate your love to us. Thank you, Father. I pray that you will take these words we've considered this morning and use them, Lord. Use them in our lives. Help us to be people who can say you are our God, our Savior, and our Father. We thank you in the precious name of Jesus.